0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Uh, We started this last week of of focusing uh, for four weeks on the things that our church is all about. We started to define this big concept that we always mention, which is love the family. If we love the family, we can change the world. And Shandra and I, my wife and I, she's not in here today. She's helping with kids somewhere, like usual. But uh, we're just so deeply grateful that each of you are along on the journey with us. Uh, There's joy in the journey. To better understand where we're going this morning, love the family, change the world, we need to just remind ourselves of a couple of main points from last week. We talked last week about why we love the family, and there were two main reasons. One of them. So, we love, or how we do it, sorry, we love the family by becoming disciples of Christ and in turn discipling our children. We talked about Abram, the story of Abram in Genesis 12, how God's plan, this is so important, God's plan to redeem the earth, the entire earth, it started with one family, one man and one family. Abram had been promised that eventually the whole earth would be blessed through him. And he hadn't seen the promise come true yet, but his job was just to love. Uh, What God had been given to him. sorry, what God had given to him. Love, honor, and cherish what God had given to him. We also talked about how when we love the family, we understand that all of us, all of us together in this place, we belong to the family of God. If we know Jesus, God says all over the New Testament that we are children of God. We are part of the same family. And our differences don't keep us apart any longer because we have the most important thing in common, and that's Jesus in our hearts. We can be on different sides of the political aisle. We can like different sports teams, all of that stuff. And God somehow brings us together. You hear us sometimes say uh, that even if you don't have a family, you have one here. And that's because all through the New Testament, right, we talked about this last week, we're directed to treat our church like family, just as we would with our family that we grew up with, Uh, the one in our physical home, Romans 12, tells us that we should treat Our church family the same way, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. God commands us to do all those things within our church. To get more of that stuff, you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast. You can find that on uh, your regular podcast apps, Spotify, or you can go uh, watch it on YouTube or Facebook. But simply, we love the family because God tells us to. All over his word, God tells us to. Our, Our family in our house... Our biological family, however our family is constituted, and our family here in church. So today, in the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about how we do it. Okay, we talked about why we do it. This morning, the two weeks after this, we're talking about how we do it. I want to be really super clear today. As I was writing this at the beginning, I wanted to be clear. It is not you or I on our own that changes the world. I got nothing to offer by myself. It's Jesus that changes the world. And by myself, I'm lucky if I can remember to put the trash cans out on Tuesday night. We moved in September and our trash, I don't even remember, I think it was Thursday. Our trash night was Thursday. Can't tell you how many times I have forgotten to put the trash cans out. We can only change the world because Jesus changes us. Now, as we begin to talk about exactly how we love the family, I don't want to pretend like it's the easiest thing in the world. Uh, at home or at church. man. I am certain that in my house, I can be very hard to love sometimes. I mean, I certainly try to serve my wife, love my wife, love my sons, take good care of them, love Aunt Christina when she's here. But I'm certain I can be hard uh, to love sometimes. Anytime you take two imperfect humans, no matter how perfect you think your future spouse is, Shauna Victoria. Anytime you take two imperfect humans, you put them together in an enclosed space. There's bound to be things that come up. Why do we think that's going to go well right away, right? Here, go in this small room, people, and see how it goes. There's things you just don't know until you're married, and then you're living in the same house with each other. You see, when you sign that marriage certificate and you put that ring on your finger, you're making this commitment that can't easily be undone. Sometimes you get in that house, and you feel a little panic, like, what did I do? (laughs) Not very often, though. Even though you think you know what you're getting into, and those that have been married longer than me uh, would echo this, you never know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Man, I could give you lots of serious examples, but a humorous one. My wife, when she married me, she knew a lot of what she was getting into. She pays pretty close attention. But one thing she probably did not know is how boring of an eater I am. I'm one of those people. Hopefully some of you identify with me. Uh, I'm one of those people I could probably rotate like three or four things every week just over and over again and be fine for the rest of my life. You give me some sandwiches, some hamburgers, some Chinese food, maybe throw in some spaghetti sometimes, but that's, I don't have to have that, you know. Give me my Coke Zero. Give me some coffee in the morning. I'm fine. I'm good. That's good. We talked on Wednesday about the desires of our heart that God puts inside us. That's what God has put inside of me, man. That's the desires of my heart. Hamburgers whenever I want them. Thank you, Lord. My wife, man, she's the opposite. She's like, I'm going to make this thing, and I think I'm going to put this exotic Indian spice in it. uh, You know what? I'm going to make spaghetti, but I'm going to put this crazy spice in it. It's going to taste different. And I'm like, why? Why would you take the risk? The spaghetti is so good. Why would you risk wrecking it, right? Why would you go to the restaurant you've never been to that might be terrible when you can just go to the one that you know is good? We don't argue about it much or, or hardly ever. Because I can find somebody pretty much anywhere I go, actually. <laughs> I just shrug my shoulders and go along, along with it. But she did not know how much resistance I would put up to whatever strange and usually actually good things she wants to cook. It's just me getting over it and taking a bite at the beginning. Church can be much the same, actually. I love the church with all my heart. I love God's church. Um, I have devoted my life to it. But it's not perfect. I think I mentioned this last week. It's not perfect because we're not perfect and we go. This place, not perfect every day because I'm here every day. Sorry, spoiler alert. Don't know if you've heard the joke about the man who gets marooned on a deserted island and he's out there all by himself for years and years and years and years. And and finally, against all odds, he gets rescued. And the rescuers show up and they rescue him. And there uh, is a building that is right close to him. And then there's another building across the way. And they assume that it's his home. And they say, wow, you've built these two shelters. What's this building right here? And he says, well, this is my church. Built this church. I wanted to worship the Lord here on this island by myself. And I said, oh, what's that other building? He said, oh, that's my old church that I used to go to. (laughs) See, it's not perfect because we're in it. But despite in the middle of all that, God does this awesome thing. He turns the ashes into beauty. And when we begin to love our family, then we can go about changing the world. And where changing the world starts is what we're talking about this morning, embracing Jesus. This morning, I want to take you through this passage of Scripture in the New Testament that I believe it illustrates this so clearly. If you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, you can turn with me. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Talking about this miracle of Christ, Mark 10, 46. I want to take us through uh, this passage. Let's read it together, Mark 10, 46 through 52. I'm reading to you this morning out of the NIV. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want to take us through this passage today and point out how Bartimaeus embraces Christ. Talk about how embracing Christ changes our home. And then by extension, the world that we walk into every day. First thing we see in this passage is, number one, Jesus came to where Bartimaeus was. Verse 46, very simple. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Jesus came to where Bartimaeus was. There's a few interesting things about this miracle recorded in the Gospel of Mark that kind of help unpack it for us. One of those uh, is we see as we go through it, there's some more specific detail in this account, right? But this healing is also recorded in Matthew chapter 20 and Luke 18. It's in three of the Gospels. There's more detail in this version than the other two. In Matthew, it's noted there's actually, there was actually two blind men present, but really hardly any other uh, detail other than that. You go read it, it's pretty brief. Just two blind men got healed. In Luke, there's a little more detail. Luke notes a little more about this interaction between the blind beggar and the crowd. But Mark, in his gospel right here, he's the only one who writes down this one crucial detail. And that is that one of these blind men, Mark only mentions the one here, and one of these blind men is named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, as it said. And how important that detail is, it's going to come back into play here at the end, here in a few minutes. But I want us to see something important today, and I believe, uh, man, this has spoke to me this week. I hope it will speak to you, and that is that Bartimaeus, on this day that changed his life, he was just doing what he always did. Just doing what he always did. If you were a blind man in those days, there was not much chance of a job or anything else for you to do. You were unable to do too much besides just hope to survive. So, if you were a blind man, disabled in some way, your best course of action was to find somewhere well-traveled, and you just hope for other people's kindness. Now, as far as we know, the blindness of Bartimaeus, it had nothing to do with an action he'd taken. In the Bible only notes, and in all three Gospels where it's mentioned, it just says, he's a blind beggar. That's all we know. Jesus and his disciples and a whole bunch of other travelers, they were on their way to Jerusalem... And just before this, I love to note, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the story of the New Testament, I love to note kind of the chronology and where things happen. It helps it make sense to me. But just before this, Jesus had been walking with his disciples, his 12 closest friends, and he had had to mediate an argument between his disciples. Like I said, nobody's perfect. The church is not perfect. Even Jesus' 12. Jesus was their pastor, and they still argued about ridiculous things like this. Two of them, James and John, they had tried, they had walked up to Jesus, you know, with all the other guys around. They had walked up to him, and they had tried to convince Jesus to guarantee them the two highest places in heaven. So, Jesus, I know you like the other guys, but how about us two on your left and your right? Can we pinky promise on that? Of course, this made the other disciples, who also assumed they were all the same, and made them indignant, the word of God says, And Jesus settled them down by reminding them that whoever served would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus knew, though, and his disciples did not, that everything was about to change, right? They were on their way to Jerusalem. They were going to say hosanna to him as he rode into the city and crucify him a week later. He'd be unfairly tried, crucified on false charges. Another interesting thing, if you're going to read this account and then you go read the one in Matthew... Uh, they state that Jesus and those with him, that they were leaving the city. While in Luke's account, it says that they were entering the city. And the reason is that there was an old Jericho that has been there a long time that was deteriorating quickly. And there was a new Jericho that Herod had built and it was supposed to be a place for his winter palace. And we're right next to each other and we can see that they're just referring to different parts of the city. There would have been gates to entrances and exits to both And that's just why the confusion between the language. At one of those gates is where we find this guy, Bartimaeus. Now, for Bartimaeus, he woke up and it was probably just like any other day. Probably not venturing too far. Probably going to the gate hoping to collect enough money and enough food to survive. Not knowing who was going to come along. But he did know this is the best he could do for now. This is what I have. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go for now. Bartimaeus was just sitting at the gates with his mat to sit on. But then Jesus came. And then Jesus came. Now you might be here this morning, or maybe you're listening online because. You know, it was too crazy and you couldn't get out of the house, and no matter what your family is like, or maybe the church is your family. And like Bartimaeus, you were just putting one foot in front of the other. you are just doing the only thing that you know how to do. And you know, different people, different families have different rhythms to their life, uh, different parts that are busy, not busy for us, for my family, myself, Chandra. Uh, John and Luke, Christina doesn't live with us anymore, but for us four, for us this time of year, March 1st, April 15th is the part where it becomes a little bit of a grind. If you don't know, my wife's a CPA, a tax accountant, so it gets pretty busy for her. By this time in school, right, the newness of school has worn off. You send your kids to school in the fall, usually they're excited, but by this time the newness has worn off. Not as excited to go every day, but you still have a ways to go. The weather is still cold, man, especially this year. It's been kind of an interesting winter. The weather's still cold, but you have pretty much exhausted all the inside activities you can do. My boys are trying to resort to dunk contests off of a chair with a Nerf basketball hoop inside. <laughs> For us, like I said, my wife, Chandra, she works as much as she can possibly squeeze in over this next six weeks. In fact, if you see me between now and April 15th, there's a good chance that uh, my two sons will be tagging along behind me they may have a book they may have their stuffed animals they may have their sports stuff but they just go with me everywhere because this is the time of year my wife's got to work a bunch and it can all seem to run together a little bit unless well, is probably sounding familiar to you I'm certain that all of you can relate in some way shape or form you go to bed late you get up early you do your thing you rinse and repeat The meat of the story is in the next several verses, but I believe God wants us to understand this morning that wherever we sit today, wherever you sit, whatever you deal with, it doesn't matter if your life is fantastic or it is fantastically mundane. Jesus is going to come. It's not an if. Jesus is going to come. Of course, we wouldn't do, all of you would not be doing what you're doing if you didn't think it was the best thing to do now. Right, No one purposely tries to hurt themselves in most cases. And Bartimaeus, he sat where he sat because it was the best place he knew of to get what he needed. Bartimaeus knew that it was a well-traveled road. He didn't necessarily know who would come down at each day, but he knew it was a well-traveled road. This morning, friends, no matter how you felt when you woke up, In order to love our family and, by extension, change the world, we must embrace Jesus. And the first step towards doing so is just to simply remember that no matter how it feels now, no matter if the days are running together on you, he is coming. And you never know when he's about to walk into your situation. You never know. Over Tuesday, Bartimaeus told Jesus exactly what he needed. So here's this blind man, Bartimaeus, next to the gates. Just like you and I, just doing what he does every day, what he's done every day for as long as he can remember. He probably knows that the festival is getting near. He knows there could be more people coming. He hears the commotion of the crowds coming down the road. But then he starts to hear evidence that this day might not be like all the other days. You see, even though Bartimaeus couldn't see with his eyes, he had surely heard with his ears about the man who'd been walking the countryside. In those days, they walked everywhere. The man who'd been walking the countryside, this man is claiming to be the son of God. And that's all well and good, but more urgently, as far as Bartimaeus was concerned, this man who's claiming to be the son of God, this man is performing supernatural miracles as he went. You know, remember he can't see anything; all he knows is what he's heard, and what he's heard is that this guy, Jesus, is feeding thousands of people with just a small lunch. You probably heard that it happened one time, and he's like, "That's not true." Then someone came and said, no, you, it happened again. You don't know, he did it twice that we know of. This man, Jesus, he's cleansing people of unclean spirits, people who've long been tormented, people who try to throw themselves into the fire and kill themselves because they're so tormented by demons. Jesus is cleansing them with the word. This guy, Jesus, he's probably heard is going around and he is literally raising people from the dead. He may have heard about Lazarus, but the most pertinent thing to Bartimaeus is that Jesus had been healing people who had born blind, had been born blind. Sure, there was no texting, there was no internet, there was no any of that stuff. But people are still people, so they talked, right? You know, You see the people you know and you talk about what they've heard and what they 've seen. People are people, so they talked. In the Bible, it's very clear that the news about Jesus had spread throughout the countryside. And so in Bartimaeus, when he thinks this man might be near, he's, this is the guy, this is the guy who's raised the dead, supposedly, and healed the blind people, supposedly. He begins to call out, and we see it there in verse 47. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. We can tell at least here that Bartimaeus is familiar with the things of God because of the phrase he uses. He says, have mercy on me. And that phrase, if you go read the Psalms, it's used all over the place by those who are afflicted. David says that all the time. God, have mercy on me. And when you read next, it's becoming a pretty common thing in the New Testament, right? We read next that those that were with Jesus, they tried to silence him as he called for mercy. It's a theme all over the New Testament, right? The disciples, we've talked about this passage a couple times this year. The disciples tried to brush off the parents and the children. The parents tried to bring their kids, and the disciples were like, the teacher doesn't have time for this. And Jesus says to bring them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they try to brush off those who they would consider sinners. the, The teachers, you're not good enough to be with the teacher. And here, those who Jesus is traveling with, so his disciples those that are going to the Passover festival, they try to brush off the downtrodden man that is crying for mercy. But Bartimaeus, he feels something that's probably familiar to each of us. Bartimaeus, he feels desperation not to miss his chance for healing. He's probably heard this guy can heal and he knows this is his one chance. He can't see him, so his only choice is to yell. So he calls out out all the louder, it says, Son of David, have mercy on me. By now, Jesus had heard him, so he stops when he asks for Bartimaeus to be brought. He would have needed guidance to get there, of course. Look of verse 50 says. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus, he jumps to his feet and came to Jesus. Note that it says he, threw, he throws his cloak aside. Because, the, again, someone like this, they wouldn't have had much. And the cloak would have been his outer coat that he had with him all the time. He could wear it to keep warm. But it had a dual purpose. He also would spread it out for people to place money on. So he would take it off, spread it out, sit in the middle, and people knew they could place their alms, their gifts, their money on. The whole reason Bartimaeus is sitting where he's sitting, the whole reason Bartimaeus is at the gate that day is to collect money on that cloak. It's the whole reason he's there. But he's probably doing the math in his head. And he also realizes this is his chance. And then Jesus asks Bartimaeus the question. Bartimaeus puts aside what he came for that day. And he goes to Jesus. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus the question. And it's the same question that Jesus is asking me and he's asking every single one of you today. The same question that would change his life. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus, though he has probably said these words to others at some point in his life, thinks he's about to say, he's able to say them finally to the only one who can change his life. I mean, you can imagine that Bartimaeus would sit at the gate each day with the other people who were blind or disabled or whatever. And he would say, Man, if I could only see. Man, then I'd go into the city and I'd get a, I'd get a job. Maybe I, I'd meet someone and I'd marry them. Maybe I'd have a family. If I could only see, here's what I'd do. He's probably said to people, If I could only see and this time, he's finally able to say to the only one who can do something about it. And he says simply to the master, Rabbi, I want to see. What beautiful faith we see from Bartimaeus here. But also, what decisive action he has taken. He was sitting on the road, and Jesus came. He didn't know Jesus was coming, but Jesus came. In one moment, he's just doing the thing that he always does. And the next, he's face to face with the only one who could heal him. And friends, I believe that God wants each and every one of us to know that we face the same choice. You see, we may go through this life and it might be dull and repetitive. It might be rinse and repeat, long days. Or maybe it's the opposite. And in your life, you're just putting out fires left and right. Might as well just call you the fireman because that's what you do. You put out fires left and right. And then you collapse into bed and you do it the next day. But we must remember, friends, that Because he has promised that he would, Jesus is coming. He's promised us he would come, and he's coming. And I believe strongly that God spoke to my heart this week, to my heart person with this question. John, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And in order to love our family and therefore go change the world, I believe we must answer that question today. For some reason, though, I think as Christians, maybe even just people in the society we live in, we are often hesitant to ask God for things. We're hesitant to ask God to work a miracle. We're hesitant to ask God for anything who the word of God says every good and perfect gift comes from. We're hesitant to ask him for help. But in order to embrace Jesus, we must not be afraid to admit that we're afflicted. We must not be afraid to admit that we're afflicted. I think sometimes we are afraid to cry out to Jesus because we don't want others to know that we're struggling. You know, we'll put one foot in front of the other. We'll get up early. We'll go to bed late as long as nobody else knows that we're struggling. We do that within our own homes with our spouse. But we do that especially within the church. We're afraid of appearing weak or vulnerable. And for that reason, we're not ready to answer the question when Jesus asks, What is it that you need? Because if we answer that question honestly, it might reveal that we're afflicted, that we're praying the same prayer that David prayed over and over again. I think sometimes we, as people, we're afraid to call out to Jesus because we don't want others to know that we're struggling. I believe that sometimes we are afraid also that God will not answer the way that we hope when we ask. Because we're afraid He won't answer the way that we hope, we're not ready to take the risk that God's plan doesn't line up with our plan. I don't want to ask the Creator of the universe for help because He might change something I don't want changed. I don't know if you've thought that, but I sure have. (laughs) Because of these things and other thoughts like it, we continue on in our affliction instead of answering the question. And Bartimaeus, he left his mat and he went to Jesus. The mat was the only thing he had. But sometimes we aren't ready to leave behind what we've painstakingly built ourselves. And sometimes our heart is simply not in the place where when Jesus asks, we can honestly answer what it is we need from him. We may have vocalized it to others before. We may have said to our spouse, man, here's what I wish I had. But when Jesus comes, we encounter someone face-to-face who can actually change our lives. And if we're going to love our family, we must be able to give Jesus an answer and begin embracing who he is. The last verse of this passage this morning it shows us one more step that Bartimaeus took towards embracing Christ. And that's simply the number three. Bartimaeus followed. Now, Bartimaeus he was in the path of Jesus, just as we all are, whether we realize it or not. We're in the path of Jesus. Bartimaeus he was ready to answer the question of the Savior. But we truly see how Bartimaeus embraces Jesus here in this final verse. Mark ten fifty two. it says this, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus along the road. It's worth noting here that um, in your Bibles, what is translated your faith has healed you. It means more literally your faith has made you well. And it's referring, supposed to be referring not only to his physical blindness, but also to the condition of Bartimaeus' heart. But we need to realize that it could have stopped right here. Bartimaeus was in the path of Jesus. He answered the question, Rabbi, I want to see what it could have stopped right here. Bartimaeus, he could have collected what little he had. He could have gone on into Jericho to the life that he probably always had wished he could live. Man, he could have traveled to another city if he want because finally he could do the thing he'd never been able to do and he could see. How many times had he had the conversation with the others begging around the gate? Man, if I could only see. And after all, Jesus, he didn't place any conditions on Bartimaeus before he healed him. There was no, okay, Bartimaeus, I'll heal you, but here's what you have to do afterwards. Just like every one of us in this place in 2023, Bartimaeus was free to do whatever he wanted after Jesus healed him. But those last few words tell us everything about Bartimaeus embracing Christ. Bartimaeus followed Jesus along the road. I said earlier we were going to circle back uh, to the name Bartimaeus. See, like I said, this account in Mark's gospel is very unique because Mark almost never names the people that are connected with Jesus. You go read through the Gospel of Mark, there's all kinds of healings, and almost never is a name mentioned of someone who's involved in a healing. Only other time is with Jairus' daughter in chapter five. The daughter's not named, but Jairus is. So there was something about Bartimaeus. You see what's so interesting about Bartimaeus is that he not only had his physical sight restored, He not only had the eyes of his heart opened to who Jesus was, but there would have been only one reason to name him in here, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. The reason is because Bartimaeus became a member of God's church later on. It's the only reason his name would have been written down here. You see, what happened is when Bartimaeus met Jesus, his life looked different from that point on. He not only received his physical sight, he not only realized who Jesus was, his life looked different from that point on. He truly embraced Jesus and began to follow him. Not only healed, but he became a follower of Jesus. Bartimaeus, he had been someone who was sitting on the way into Jericho, the Bible says. But now he was someone who was going on the way with Jesus. Jesus. We're going to talk practically about what this passage means to us here in a moment. And there are many, many steps we can take towards loving our family at home and loving the family of God. But what we can't miss is that if we're going to do that, if we're going to love our family and then we're going to go try and change the world, that when we make the decision to embrace Christ, when we make the decision to embrace Christ, our life must look different than it did before. If Jesus comes and changes us, our life must look different. We talked about it during communion. The only way for our life to look different is by asking for forgiveness of our sins. Repenting. Turning from our wicked ways. The best thing that we can do, the best thing you can do, father, mother, grandparent, the best thing you can do is ask Jesus into your heart. The best thing you can do is repent, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. First John 1.9 tells us this, it's very simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he is just, he will forgive our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, we can't miss it, friends. When we embrace Jesus like this, then our lives begin to change. And when I was young, I used to really uh, kind of wrestle with God about this. Lord, I-, I repent of my sins, but how do I know if it actually took? But true repentance is seen in whether our actions are any different. True repentance is seen whether, is seen in whether our life looks any different. Not in perfection. God's not saying you have to be perfect. But true repentance is seen in evidence of us moving towards and becoming more like Jesus. That's what true repentance looks like. And Paul, he lays it out for us uh, in Galatians five, nineteen through 24. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. Paul lays it out for us because uh, there's often a question, well, what is sin and what is life supposed to look like? Well, here's what Paul says, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the good part. But the fruit of the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit who regenerates us when we accept Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I want to encourage you this morning, friends, if you haven't done so, or maybe it's been a long time, my encouragement to you is that you embrace Jesus by accepting his grace today. You see, it's the work of Jesus, it's that grace of Jesus that does the work of throwing away our sins away as far as the east is from the west. And now for those of you uh, who have done that, which I know is the majority of you in this place, I want to give you some specific encouragement that the story of Bartimaeus has brought to mind for me. I want to encourage you to do something. As I keep saying, no matter how your family looks, I want to encourage you to fight for your family. It might feel mundane. It might feel like you're, you're uh, doing the same thing over and over. But I want to encourage you to fight for your family. Because when you fight for your family, you're obeying God. And you put yourself in God's path each day. You obey God and you put yourself in the path of Jesus. And I want to encourage you, don't lose heart if it feels like nothing is changing. Often things start to change behind the scenes before we ever even know. Don't lose heart if it feels like nothing is changing because Jesus is coming Bartimaeus didn't know it but Jesus was coming if you were in a family in a home maybe that just looks like beginning to acknowledge God in your house each day we talked last week about how Abram while he was waiting 25 long years for Isaac the promised son to be born he built altars altars to remember and acknowledge what God had done Find a way to build an altar in your house. Start putting scripture verses up on your walls. Pray with your family before bed. Whatever it takes for you to acknowledge God in your house, I encourage you to do that. Fight for your family. If your family is here at church, maybe you've got nothing at home, but your family is here. Maybe that means becoming more purposeful about meeting regularly with those you can pray with and study God's word with. Maybe it means committing, taking 10 minutes and praying for people by name each day. Something else I want to encourage you to do is to not be afraid to ask God for specifically what you need. Don't be afraid to ask God for specifically what you need. I'm sure every one of you in this place, if we sat down, could be honest, you'd know exactly what needs to happen for your family to be good. Just like Bartimaeus would have said, Oh, if only I could see, here's what I would do. You're probably thinking, if only fill-in-the-blank thing would happen, here's what we could do. And the thing is, when Bartimaeus vocalized that, of course it seemed crazy. He'd been born blind. There was no procedure that was going to fix him. And it might seem crazy when you vocalize that prayer Lord, this is what I need you to do. It seems crazy because it seems impossible. It could never be answered. But I can tell you this with 100% honesty. um, And they're not examples I'll share with you publicly because they're just too personal of stuff but prayers that Shandra and I have prayed together in our uh, almost 16 years of being married and most of those having a kid in our house. Man, over those almost 16 years, we've prayed prayers on behalf of our family in situations that were out of our control, things that we did not do, problems we did not bring upon ourselves. Um, so many cases in a specific time period in our life where those prayers would be answered, we would, we would ask these crazy things of God and the prayers would be answered and when they were answered, the people would use the same language that just seemed crazy when we said it. It was so uncanny that it could not be anything but God. And we lay there next to each other and uh, you know, tired at the end of the day and just, Lord, this is what we need. Don't know what else to do, but ask you for help. Can't tell you how many times he came through and the person used the exact same language. And yeah, it is possible the answer looks different than you'd hope. that's happened to us too. But you got to understand, Francis he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he can answer your deepest prayer. When we love the family by embracing Christ, that's when we can begin to change the world. Because families who know him, who embrace him, who rely on him in this way, they preach the gospel simply by how they live. Churches that truly embrace Jesus like Bartimaeus did uh, instead of social clubs, and I'm proud of our church that it is not a social club. Instead of social clubs, they become hospitals for the hurting and the broken. If you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? There's a change that happens when we choose to follow. When we choose to follow, the change will be noticeable. We'll turn from those things that are in the first couple of verses of that scripture we read in Galatians, and we'll turn towards the fruits of the Spirit. But remember, friends, remember this in your heart. We're only able to change the world because Jesus changes us. Have you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed because I want to give you a moment to reflect. I want to give us a chance to do two things. One of those is if you're here this morning, and you need to embrace Jesus in your family by inviting him into your heart. If that's you today, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a moment. But two, if you've got a prayer that seems like it is absolutely impossible, and you need someone uh, to agree with you, uh, we're here to do that with you today. Like the video... uh, beginning of the message said it may take a miracle similar to a blind man saying but because heaven has come to earth miracles still happen the same God that delivered the Isaac to Abram the same God that sent his son Jesus to live a life of no sin die and rise again is the one whose presence is resting upon us today so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you just a few moments to reflect without doing anything here in a moment. But um, the two things we need to focus on at the end of this service. If you are here and you need to accept Christ, uh, rededicate your life to him, I'm going to be down here in the front. If there's uh, more of you than I can pray with, then one of our other staff members will come up. I encourage you come. find me. I'd love to pray with you. Have Jesus in your heart. But two. If you're here and you've got a prayer, you've got an issue, you've got something that seems like uh, is impossible and it will never be fixed, man, I'd be happy to pray with you today, agree with you. You don't even have to tell me the details, but if you want someone to pray with you about something impossible, he's the God of the impossible. Made blind men see, raised people from the dead, and he's here with us today. Take like 30 seconds or so, reflect on what the Lord is speaking to your heart. This morning, Pastor Almeida is going to just lead us in this song, Living Hope. I'm going to step down here and Uh, Church, I just encourage you to respond to whatever way you see fit. If you'd like to pray with somebody, come find me. Uh, We'd love to go to the Lord with you. I encourage you, embrace Jesus by inviting him into your heart. Embrace Jesus, because he's asking you today, what do you need? Don't be afraid to answer the question this morning. Let's sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.